Um, we are, as I said, we sort of started last week um, with a little bit of a, um, a one-off, thinking about where we're going this term. And you'll find on your notice sheet that we are looking uh, over this term, we're going to look at the book of Galatians. Um, mercifully, there's only a short time for you all this morning, so I don't get to say all the things I would like to say probably about it, but we're going to make a start. I've put in, this is color, but you've got a black and white. Um, one of the things I like to do is to encourage you to journey with something personally, to do it in groups like life groups, but also what we do on a Sunday. Um, that's a little bit, bit, bit of background information. For example, let me give you an example. There are some amazing verses in Galatians. I asked we, about a month ago, the preachers got together and said, right, let's just read through Galatians together. I said it'd take 10 minutes, took 20 maybe, 15. So actually, you could read the book of Galatians uh, on your own, 15, 20 minutes. Some of it you'll think, oh, I recognize that. Some of you'll think, haven't got a clue what's going on. But part of journeying with it together is that, that we'll make that clearer. But if you want, uh, there's some books I could recommend to you, but I don't want to give you loads of things. But come and see me if you'd like to quietly work through it on your own. Uh, we would love to help you do that. So that's some kind of... In but as a minimum, one of the things you could do is go and learn off by heart a few of the verses in Galatians that really strike you. Read through it. Say, Lord, speak to me. And you may find there are four or five verses that actually, you know, committing to memory actually would bless you, really would bless you over this time as well as trying to understand it, which is another thing as well. Okay. Um, this morning, I'm going to do a, uh, a couple of things. Um, I'm going to start Galatians. I'm going to look at the first five verses. Then I'm actually going to do something slightly different than the, the last four verses, six, seven, eight, and nine. Um, so actually, as we begin, let me just pray. Father, thank you for your overwhelming heart for us. Father, we want to be a people who are hungry to to know more, to discover more, to experience more of your plans and your purposes for our lives, for your church. Father, would you open our hearts? Would we make a step towards you to discover more of who you are this term? And Father, would that not just be a personal journey, but it would be a, for us as a journey as a church? Would we move as you speak to us and minister to us over this time? In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you will remember about 10 years ago, it was on the news, there was a, a group of 33 Chilean miners who got stuck. Dan was either copper or gold mine, I can't quite remember which, after an accident in the country of Chile. Famously, for 69 days, those miners were stuck underground. Over time, the people that on, on top of the ground managed to locate the fact that these 33 men were still alive. They managed to get food to them. They were in distance, about over a few miles. They were actually about 700-odd meters below the surface. And then eventually, after 69 days, these miners were rescued. And actually, the joy and the sense of liberation and the wonder at being rescued was plain for all to see. 
See, the thing is this. The miners couldn't save themselves. The miners needed help. Today we're beginning a series on Paul's letter to the Galatians, and this morning I'm going to think particularly about rescue. And it's impossible when we think of the book of Galatians to overstate the impact this six-chapter book has had. This is a book that was at the key of the Protestant Reformation. In the 1700s, there was a man called William Holland who got hold of Luther's copy of Galatians and gave it to his great friend, who was someone called Charles Wesley. Wesley at the time was stuck in bed, but he was reading through Galatians 2, and he just couldn't get beyond the simple phrase in Galatians 2 where it says, who loved me and gave himself for me who loved me and gave himself for me. As a consequence of that, Wesley began earnestly asking God and seeking God that he would experience some of that love that it wrote about. Not love as a doctrine, not love as an idea, but love as a lived-out reality. Shortly after his experience, he then penned the wonderful hymn, And Can It Be? The first verse of And Can It Be goes like this. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me? Who caused his pain? For me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be? that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Wesley, um, Galatians was one of the keys in, um, in Wesley's conversion, Charles Wesley's conversion, and also at the heart, in some ways, of the awakening in the 18th century. Today, I would argue we really need the message of Galatians, because we really do need help. If I'm allowed to say this, and I say this for my own life too, our capacity for destruction and and self-destruction at times appears endless. Yes, I know there's beauty. I know there's wonder. I know that. But amongst all the challenges and the difficulties and the hardships of this world, we hear a relentless message in our society which goes something like this. You don't need Christ to rescue you. Find your own path. Find your own way. Save yourself. Galatians, I would argue, and I hope we will discover, helps us find what true freedom looks like. The message of this book is a letter to a group of churches in Galatia. It's a region in south-central Turkey today. And Paul and the message of good news he brought were under attack from a group of opponents. And let me just put it simply this way. Paul is not happy. Let me put it that way. Paul is not happy. Some people call it a red-hot letter. Why is Paul so upset? Well, we we, we live at a time where we constantly hear something like this. It doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere. Doesn't, truth doesn't really matter. 
one person's truth is as good as another person's truth. It's all relative. But the message of Galatians challenges that and doesn't agree to that. It says truth matters. Truth matters. What you believe matters. It matters what is true and it matters what is untrue. Why? Because across the people, across the world, sorry, people are doing terrible things to each other under the guise of what is true. George Weigel, the Roman Catholic author, said this. He said, ideas have consequences and bad ideas can have lethal consequences. What we believe really does matter. Uh, a number of years ago, I spent some time with a Christian charity through someone I knew that helped people who have been sexually abused. And one of the shocking parts of spending time amongst some of the, the stories that they told were a number of those who had been abused and kept returning to their abuser. In explaining, um, one woman said, yes, but this person loves me. He said he wouldn't do it again. And she believed it. She believed it and continued to be abused. But she said, I didn't feel like I deserved any better. What we believe matters. What we believe about others, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about God really does matter. Ideas have consequences and bad ideas can have lethal consequences. Truth matters in every realm. Galatians 1.1. If you've got your Bible in front of you, I'm just going to look at these, um, these few verses. Paul, an apostle, sent not with a human commission, nor by human authority, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. This is how ancient letters began. We write, dear X or dear Y. In the ancient world, they would start with the name of the sender, that's Paul, the name of the recipients, which is the churches in Galatia, and then a greeting that was a standard form of a letter in those days. But why does Paul choose this way to start? I'd like to suggest there are three basic ways in which we build up our own beliefs and our ideas. Most of us will understand that we decide what we believe or choose what we believe from a series of traditions. You know, what my family taught me, what my school taught me, what my culture teaches me. You know, we learn and grow in our beliefs and ideas through tradition. And the second way, one of the second ways we do, which has a huge amount of power in our current generation, is actually what we call personal authority. You know, I believe this because it personally resonates with me because it fits my instincts. And so we build up a belief system around what works for us and what we do. And then there's this third source that Paul talks about, which we call apostolic authority. God speaking a word of revelation through the apostles. That's why Paul starts in Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle. Now, Quickly, there is the word apostle generally is used two different ways in the New Testament. The broad use of the word apostle is something that we might understand like a messenger sent by a church. We might use the word missionary. But there was another select group in which the word the apostle would use, which is 
in inverted commas, the apostles. Which of the 12 that Jesus chose, minus Judas, maybe including James and Paul himself, who were appointed by Christ. They were eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection and were responsible to give the authoritative teaching for what we believe. For what we believe about Christ, for salvation, about Christian living, about the church. Apostles with a big A, so to speak. So this morning, why do you believe anything about God? Where have you got that from? Would you believe something? Because I taught it. Possibly, possibly not. Would you believe something because the Church of England agreed to it? Possibly, possibly not. Would you believe something if the PCC voted on it? Possibly, possibly not. But that's none of those things are how we decide. Because it's based on revelation from God given to the apostles and contained in this book called the Bible. The Bible, God's revelation to us. His word to us. And Paul writes this letter about the truth, about the rescuing message of the gospel to this series of churches in Galatia. And I'd suggest to you this morning, we need to constantly not get too far away from the basic message of the gospel. That if we're going to be right with God, it's only by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. It's only by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Martin Luther once said, the Christian life is always a starting and a beginning again. And I don't know how you start the beginning of each of your days, but maybe you need to remind yourself of God's grace. You know, I'm accepted today, not because that I had a really good day yesterday and it went well, or I did something really worthy and commendable. I did really good things, and so I can say I'm acceptable to God. But I'm accepted by God today simply because of His grace that I received through faith in Christ alone, who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 3 of Galatians 1 then goes on to say, how do we test to see whether it is the truth that we're believing? Verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, God is the author of the gospel, and it came to you by grace, and you know that it's come to you by grace? When we experience peace, Paul is saying, the gospel is peace. The effect of the gospel is peace. Peace with God, peace with other people, peace within ourselves. Peace with God. Peace is how we know we've received the truth, the gospel, in our lives. In a different letter, Paul talks about the peace that passes all our human understanding. Not just peace in the good times when everything goes our way, but peace that keeps us through the traumas and the difficulties and the painful sessions of life too. So what, what was Paul defending? Verse 4. 
Galatians of Galatians, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father. And Paul essentially right at the beginning of this letter says two things. Firstly, Christ died for our sins. Why did Christ die? Why do Christians talk about the cross so much? Christ didn't just die to show us how much God loves us, although the cross does show that. Christ didn't just uh, show us what it means to be an example of self-sacrifice, although the cross is an example of self-sacrifice. It says here, Christ died for our sins. All of them. The little ones and the ginormous ones. Christ died for our sins, all of them. And we need to know that because the thing is this, when the accuser comes to you and says, you're not worthy. I know what you're like. I know what you're like. There you are. There's no way you're accepted by God because you've done some bad things in your life. You end up believing what the accuser says and be condemned. But we go to Christ We go to a different direction and take hold of him and the cross by faith and say, you, Lord, died for my sins. It's done. And secondly, Christ died to rescue us. Um, One old English bishop put it well when he said, the gospel in its most basic sense is a rescue. We can't help ourselves. You can't save yourself. We can't deliver ourselves. We can't free ourselves. We are like the miners in one sense in the cave. So we bring ourselves and our sin and God supplies the rest. It's grace through faith, all Christ. Why did Christ die? to forgive us, to rescue us for this present evil age. That's how Paul describes it. Free from sin, at peace in our relationships, healing and wholeness, part of our experience of his work in our ongoing lives. Do you know, I know with the sort of challenges, while the old age that we live in continues to run along, the present age that has broken in, in and through Christ, and that makes things difficult. Christ is delivering us so that we, like those miners, can be pulled out of the darkness and brought into his glorious light. Amen. Now, I'm going to set you a little bit of work to do. Um, Just for five minutes, rather than me talk to you about verses six to nine, You'll find if you've got a Bible near you, you've, you've either got, there aren't physical Bibles, you might have on your phone. The next bit starts like this. I am astonished. I did hesitate from doing what I'm just about to do, but I think we need to do a little bit of straight talking. So, in your pack on your seat, you'll find one half of um, like that. It looks like that. It's got color, uh, you need to find it to properly engage. You can just be still if you want to. And Paul starts the next part of his letter to the Galatians. It's, 
he starts it by saying, I am astonished. I'm just going to read it to you, and then we'll engage with that. Let me just read you the next uh, few verses from 6 to 9. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But if even we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Paul is angry. He's very angry with the church. It makes me wonder this morning, as part of journeying through Galatians, we'll find over the next sort of eight, nine weeks what made Paul so angry. We'll discover more of the things that actually he, why he's writing with so much passion. But I wonder as we begin this journey, I've asked you just to take a moment to say, what makes you angry about the church with the church? And actually, it may be the failings of the church, maybe the past of the church, but I'm going to ask you to put that down and to lay it down as part of beginning your journey through Galatians. This is your opportunity to write down what you want. But if you're frustrated, you're constantly disappointed, and ultimately you're a bit ambivalent about the church, Paul is not lukewarm about his church. He's not. But actually we find ourselves not where we'd like to be. I'm going to suggest you write that down. Actually, if you'd like to engage with this, if you, put it, if you want to bring it forward as part of trying to get the muck and the dirt out of the way, you can put it at the front of the bowl here before you leave here today. And then we'll prayerfully try and work it through. But the second part of it is a bit of prayer this morning. Part of the graphic that James has used is the graphic of the butterfly, the life cycle of the butterfly. We're in this together, whether you like it or not. We are in this together. So actually, I'm going to ask in the second area, what area of the church life would you love to see transformed? Because actually, the reality is, if you feel, feel passionate and something makes you really angry, there's probably a number of things going on inside you how can you turn that into a prayer to see the church grow, to see us as a church grow to be more like God wants? You don't need to write all this down, but I'm going to encourage you if you'd like to, to do that. So we're going to take about four or five minutes. I'm going to stop talking, but I'm going to suggest you do this as also your prayer this morning. What makes you angry? What do you want to see transformed? Transformed.